Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. Just like we built up our house, we've got to do these ordinary things that build up our faith. And in that, that is the solid ground. Things, spiritual discipline, spending time in God's Word, praying, doing those things that no one's going to give you an attaboy for. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. I want to share a truth with you today. God is at work in you, even in the mess. That is a statement that is 100% true. And if you've been hanging around here for any length of time, you know that I am honest about the real stuff of life, and that's why the podcast is called the No More Perfect Podcast. And I can't think of a better guest for the No More Perfect Podcast than a woman who wrote a book called Life is Messy, God is Good. Joining me today is Cynthia Yanoff. She's a wife, a mother, a podcaster, a blogger, and an everyday girl who is ridiculously committed to not taking herself too seriously. She's not only the author of Life is Messy, God is Good. She is also the host of the popular Mesmerized podcast and loves speaking, writing, foster care, and hanging out with as many friends as possible. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Cynthia. Well, thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm good. I'm very good. How are you today? All is well. As we're recording this, everyone, we're just going to be completely honest. Um, We've gone through the holidays. Most of my children are in school. The one that most needs to be back in school has not started yet. And it's time. It is time (laughs) for my first grader to go back to school. So I would like to start you with that. That's where we are right now. Let's just be honest right up front. (laughs) Yes. So, but all is well over here. Well, you know what? As uh, we'll be honest, you're being honest about yours. My my husband has been sick for three days. He's had Mm. a fever. He's had he's had the cough. He's had the whole thing. We are sleeping in separate bedrooms. Okay, never in forty years have we slept in separate bedrooms. Mm -hmm. But. He totally has the cooties and I do not want them. And so (laughs) it's funny you say that because I was listening to it might have been like the Today Show or something the other day and they were talking about sleep divorce. Obviously, that's not what's going on with you. But the people that are happily married, but sleep in separate rooms because someone snores or somebody this or that. And so my husband and I were laughing about that. and, And I was like, I don't hate that. He's like, I don't either. I think it's terrible for our marriage. So we won't. But anyway, we got a good chuckle out of that. So um, maybe embrace these few days where you have the whole bed yourself. 
There you go. I know. I, You know what? And I think I enjoyed it for the first two nights. I really missed him last night. And so I was yeah. like, and we both of us, we were like, you know, I, I'm really missing the just because we, we make connection when we go to bed at night and we're missing that connection, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So anywho, how, so there you go. So there's some honesty. I would, I, I know. So I would love, um, tell us just a little bit about your family and uh, just your life journey. Um, just so we have some context for who you are. Sure. And um, you said you've got a first grader. What more? Right. Okay. There you go, everyone. I'm getting ready to drop it. The bomb. And that is, I have a junior in college. I have a junior in high school and I have a first grader, right? And so that's how we know that God has a sense of humor because like I'm literally going to be suffering through menopause and like teacher conferences in first grade. So there you go. Um, and I used to be an attorney. Um, I guess I still have the degree, but I do not practice. I married my husband, Mike, who is an attorney still. We met in law school and we've been married 22 years. Yeah. And so three kids later to bio, the youngest was um, an adoption story foster care and now i podcast and have written a book obviously um we mentioned and yeah that's life yeah oh my goodness well we had a big span between our oldest and our youngest uh we had 14 years between our so i said that i was driver's training and potty training at the same yes. time and i was buying Literally. i was buying diapers and pads at the same time for my kiddos <laughs> Oh my gosh, totally. <laughs> like, I have a story I will not share, but yes, very similar with giving giving a bottle while sitting on the other side of the bathroom door with a, my daughter before she went to a swim party. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> teaching all kinds Understand. of things. So I know, I know what you're saying, girl. I'm with you. <laughs> yep, it's pretty crazy. So I love it. You know, and it was funny because just the other day I was going through a whole bunch of paperwork. I don't even know how this managed to survive all these years. Um, obviously, I had some stacks that desperately needed to be gone through. But my, um, I, I always would type up, uh, I would always type up like my kid's schedule and I give it to my parents. So like mm -hmm. they had all the major stuff, like they knew mm -hmm. when the major, and if they wanted to show up for a choir concert or if they wanted to show up, you know, they could, they lived two hours away and they were really good about that. But uh, anyway, I ran across one of those and I was like, oh my gosh, how has this survived all these years? I mean, I'm a, I'm a full empty nester. My kids are gone. <laughs> and so that tells you about my messes, doesn't it? But um, anyway, so I snapped a picture of it. I sent it to my kids in our, our family group chat. And uh, the first thing that they saw was I had mentioned our oldest daughter's prom and our youngest son's preschool graduation and and ann was yeah. like oh my goodness mom prom and preschool graduation yep that's, that's awesome that's <laughs> life so yeah well um tell that makes us me happy makes me happy <laughs> <laughs> yep i i know tell us just a little bit you know uh, i know we're not gonna uh this isn't a a conversation about foster care but it's a passion of yours i am a foster care grandma i have two oh. grandchildren that are foster care probably will be adopted um hopefully in 2024 um but anyway uh tell us a little bit about your foster care story 
Yeah, it's one of those things. I, I Whenever I talk about foster care, I always kind of want to preface it with this. Like, it's not everybody's story. I get that. I never thought it would be our story. When when the Lord kind of started speaking foster care into us, my husband and I are both like, oh, gosh, no, surely not, Lord. Like, we let our kids play select sports on Sundays. Like, we're not that spiritual. I don't think that this is, this. we're not the right people. But um, the Lord, as he does, made it very evident to both of us that that was the journey that we were going to go on. And so, I mean, talk about a reluctant yes, dragging my feet. And I kept complaining about the paperwork. I'm like, I just don't know if I can do all this paperwork. And my husband's like, well, you know, like we are lawyers. I bet we can figure out the paperwork. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> and so we finally, you know, got to that point where um we were licensed and all of that. And and I just, you know, I sum it up to say this. I I I went into foster care scared of what it would do to our family, scared of what it might look like for our bio kids, scared of what it might look like for everything from our finances to our faith, everything you can think of. And, and I came out on the other side scared of who we would be if we had not done it, because mm-hmm. the Lord just changes you when you go do the things He calls you to do. For us, it was foster care. For whoever's listening, whatever the Lord's calling you to do, when you do the thing where He calls you to stand alone, where He calls you to follow Him when it doesn't make sense, you're changed because of it. And for That's- our family, like all the years I spent protecting my kids from certain parts of town and all the things like he put us right in the middle of that. And you can't unsee kids um, in waiting rooms with everything they own and trash bags. You can't unsee kids waiting for parents at visitation to show up that don't come or that do come that are on drugs. And my kids lived through all of that, my bio kids. And, and, and from that to just praying over a crib of a little boy night after night as a family, praying over the sleeping baby that the Lord would spare him from going back to what he had come from. And so it was such a journey, the hardest thing we've ever done. But we are changed people because of it. And I'm just so grateful that the Lord chose us. And yes, we did end up getting to adopt our little one. And as someone who knows foster care like yourself, you know, this is so unusual, but we had agreed to older kiddos and we got a newborn, um, which is why I'm a hundred years old with a small child. But, um, but it was the very first placement we got was this little guy. And we ended up two years later getting to adopt him. And so it was just a precious, um, a precious gift. You know, people in, in the best of ways will be like, oh my gosh, he's so lucky. I'm like, oh no, like we are the lucky ones. Not only because yes, we got a son out of it, but really we got God out of it. Like we know him like never before. And so I'm just so grateful. And I just went, whenever I, I don't ever want people to gloss over when someone starts talking about foster care or whatever that calling is, it may not be yours, but just that encouragement of like, go do the hard things that God calls you to. Um, you just, you will never regret it. Won't be easy, but you will not regret it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I've experienced that so many times in my life. And so I love that. And I love what you how you said it. You know, I was so afraid of what would happen. And then when I got to the other side of it, you were just, so afraid of who yeah. you would have would have become if you hadn't done that. Oh, I love right. that. What a what a yeah. neat perspective. Yeah. Oh, so thanks. so every book has a story behind it. Um and one of the things I love to do in the conversations we have here at the No More Perfect podcast is just to talk about the stories behind our books. And so what is what was your why for writing Life is Messy, God is Good? Um and I know that it probably came out of your own journey, obviously. So what was that journey besides what you've shared? 
Well, you know, it's never been on, maybe I should admit this, I don't know, you tell me, but it's never been like the bucket list, like I'm going to be an author one day. I think because I went to law school and I had to read so much that I kind of stopped enjoying reading after law school. I know that's terrible to say. And so even being an author, I'm like, eh, but like it was one of those things, the Lord kind of just laid that opportunity in front of me. And so I was like, okay, if this is my next obedient guess, I want to, I'll do it, Lord, and I'll do it your way, but I got to do it my way too. And it has to be funny. And I'm just one that I just like to laugh. I like to see the, the, the funny in everyday life. And, mm-hmm. and for me in particular, having grown up in church, I love church. Um, feeling like I've had a deep faith most of my life. I'm so thankful that my parents were able to do that with our, with us and raise us in a Christian home. I also realized like God can't just be in the, the clean, sterilized moments like there's no way it works that way like i kept trying to clean up my life or you know maybe god's in this moment because i'm at the church camp or god's in this moment because uh, you know i'm about to get married in the church or these and i'm like right that doesn't even make sense because 99 percent of my life is in the messy it's in the margins and so how do i find god in those margins how do i help sunday line up with tuesday because yep. the thing is 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 if our theology doesn't meet our reality then it's not theology, right? It's just maybe some good advice. But I need a faith. I need a theology that lines up with what's going on with a kid with learning differences. And what about when I'm trying to you know, teach my 16-year-old son to drive and I'm about to meet Jesus with him? All these things that happen every day that are funny and hard and unscripted. Like, where's God in that? Does he care? And if he does, how can I live differently knowing that? So that was kind of the heart behind the book. And how do I put that in words? And, and my hope was, and still is, that it's really a good hard laugh, but also some points of truth where we can say, yeah, that that is right. And I can see God has been in this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, man, that's just where the rubber meets the road with our faith, isn't it? It's just because, you know, if we don't understand that God's in the middle of the messiest places in our life, like marriage and parenting and the everyday stuff. Um, you know, I wrote a book called Real Moms, Real Jesus. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I do in there is I tell a story of uh, something that happened in Jesus's life and a similar story of something that happens like that in a mom's life, just so that women could understand how much our God gets us. Um, you know, one of the the stories I talk about is um, that um, that everywhere Jesus went, people wanted to touch him. And mm-hmm. And, you know, and so they're, they're, they're always reaching out and, and Jesus was like touched all the time. And it's like, that was me as a mother, you know, I have one kid on one leg and one kid on another leg and another one attached my breast, you know, what it's like, mm-hmm. and then I'd fall in bed at night with a husband who had a gleam in his eye. And I wanted to say, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. One more person touches my body. This is not going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and to think that our God understands that, like, mm. because he has been in high demand. He has been touched to death. He has been, had so many people, you know, uh, reaching out to him. And so I think that oftentimes we are, that's lost on us. We forget yeah that we have this very personal God. Mm, mm. I think that's true. And 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 I think 
I think he, I think he would want us to realize he's with us and everything. I mean, it's so in the Bible, you know, you think about the fact that he was in the wilderness and he was tested. You think about the fact that he came as a baby, baby, he was defenseless, all these different things. Like these are real life things we all face, but for some reason we get a disconnect in there. And we think of the God that's on high that can't relate to what's going on in everyday life. And so, yeah, how do we bridge that? Because I think that's key in our own lives for our families, but really in a culture that desperately needs to see the relevance of God, we've got to be pointing that out. We got to be digging into that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, you went a lot of places in your book. You went a lot of different angles. And so I just want to start picking at some of those and going, all right, let's talk about this one. Let's talk about this one. So one of the things that you talked about, and I I love this is uh, you referenced the importance of four crazy friends. Uh, So talk about friendship. What have you learned? How do you deal with things like uh, FOMO and resentment and comparison and not letting that rob our friendship? So let's just talk about friendship for a moment. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such an important topic. And I think we all crave and desire deep community and to be seen. Um, That's what I want most for my kids. What I want for myself is to be seen and acknowledged and accepted. And it just takes a priority. It just takes a commitment to getting in there and doing it. And so, yeah, I I talk about and and relating it to a biblical story, I talk about, you know, the paralytic that's on a mat and Jesus comes to town. And so he has those four friends that pick him up and take him to see Jesus and they get there and it's too crowded. They can't get in, right? And so what do his friends do? Do they just drop him and leave his mat? And like, oh, well, we tried. Well, no, they take him up to the roof and they cut a hole and lower him in front of Jesus. And and I and I that's think about crazy. that, I'm like, right? Yeah, yes. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And so I think about that, like, those are the friends we need, right? Like, we don't need the friend that like didn't acknowledge that we had a problem because they're too busy. We don't need the friend that sees the problem is like, ooh, that's too big for me. I got to step out. They need a professional. We don't need those friends. We need four crazy friends that are willing to show up and they're going to believe in our marriage when we don't. They're going to chase after our dreams when we want to give up. They're believing in our kids when our kids are making ridiculous mistakes. Like, that's what we need is those four crazy friends. And what I think happens is it's so easy to have some amount of community around us, but then we're so consumed with who's not on our side or who didn't invite us or whatever it is that we kind of we kind of go quantity over quality. And so my challenge for myself and and hopefully for all of us is is that if you have those friendships built in, those deep seated godly friendships like lean in invest in those love hard on those and if you don't then then start working towards that but Mm -hmm. then don't worry about the rest that doesn't mean that we're being ugly or we dislike other people we're not trying to like have clicks but i just think we've got to lean into where god has the people surrounding us that are going to do life with us we're gonna do life with them and stop worrying about the fray one of my friends tells the story of her daughter went to a sleepover and uh there's 15 kids or so and three of the popular girls i say in air quotes they left and slept in a different room and her friend her daughter got in the car and she was like oh my gosh it was the worst sleepover these three girls left and my friend's like well how many were still in the room with you and she's like 12 and she's like isn't that the irony of it like we're so caught up in the three that left that we can't appreciate the 12 that are still there and and i think that's just not a junior high problem we've got to really we've really got to lean into the people that are around us and and value them and and do life together as authentically and vulnerably as we know how to do that and um and i think that's a good a good word biblically speaking on on the value of friendships and just having a good few strong ones 
Yeah. Oh, I so appreciate that. And you're right. I mean, a lot of times we, in general, we see what we don't have and we miss what we do have. And, and so I love that. But I think that a part of why that happens is another place that you go to in your book. And that is you talk about the messages and the lies and, um, and, so I think that a lot of times when we have those moments where, um, you know, all we can see is the three that left and not the 12 that are there, it's because maybe we struggle with rejection um, mm-hmm. and there's that lie of rejection or that message that, you know, I've just been rejected. And so oftentimes I think that that really plays in with us. So what, talk about why you delved into that in the book. What lies have you personally struggled with the most? And then how are you working to align those with God's truth? Right, right. You know, I have, I think we all fight different lies. And the thing is, is uh, the thing that's dangerous about lies is oftentimes we don't know them to be a lie. And so, and I've realized over the years, like I've got to start lining up my definition of success with God's. And so what does that look like? That means I've got to line up what I'm believing with biblical truth. So let's go another layer down. So how do I do that, like practically speaking? And I think that's getting real curious about what's feeding into your identity, what's feeding into your worth, and saying like, why do I believe that? And so I did a little work on that. And I was like, okay, what are some things I'm believing that probably don't line up with God's truth. And so here's my three. I can, I'm happy to go into them or not, but here's the three that I have kind of fought over the years. And mm-hmm. the first lie that I tend to believe is that we're defined by the success and failures of our kids. And so that's kind of on the mom yeah. level. That's one of the ones I've fought. Another lie that I've fought is that ordinary is not enough, that I have mm-hmm. to be, it has to be more than ordinary to be significant. And the third one is that everyone has to love and accept me. And, and I know that that third one in particular, I think having grown up in church and having um, maybe misconstrued this idea that we live in harmony with people, but listen, in today's culture, as divided as it is, even within the church, there's no way that we're everybody's cup of tea. We're not all things to all people, and that's okay. And so we live the best we can in harmony with people, but not everybody has to love and accept us. And I think that's a lie I fought over the years that, you know, if if somebody wasn't 100% on board of the fact we wanted to do foster care, for example, there were people we loved and valued. They were like, ooh, are you sure? That didn't mean it wasn't right. That was still where God was calling us. It doesn't have to, I don't have to be accepted and approved of by everyone because God does that. And so that's the third lie I've struggled with. Those are the three that I've kind of had to dig through in my life that I kind of cover in the book. Oh, and I think those are li- all three of those are lies that we all struggle with. So you yeah. talked there about that third one. Let's go back and talk about the other two just a little bit more. Sure. So uh, say the first one again. Like, so I- yeah, that we're defined by the success and failure of our kids. I think the problem with if you would have told me all years ago, like, hey, that's something you're going to struggle with, I would have been like, no, I'm not. Like, I have my own identity. I don't need to, you know, be defined by my kids. But but that happens, right? It happens pretty quickly on. Oh. You realize that, like, it's like from the time as your kids sleeping through the night, and who, how have they rolled over yet? And what's your reading level? And and did they get in this school? I mean, it just never seems to end. And I realized early on, I'm like, wow, this is a strong burden that my kids weren't meant to carry by carrying my insecurities, my 
worth my unmet expectations. And the yep. other thing is about this, this whole idea of success and failure is like the world's view of success and failure is so skewed that we don't want we don't want it to them to be defined that by that much less us. I think about like success for our kids, the world defines success by things that are measurable. And so yeah, grades, how fast can you run around the track? I mean, things that they can hand out a certificate. But as believers, like the most God-honoring things our kids will do on a given day are not measurable. Being nice mm-hmm. to someone in the cafeteria, taking themselves off a text thread that is unkind, walking away from the crowd that's making bad decisions, like those are not measurable things and they matter. And so I think we just have to be very careful by letting mm-hmm. the world's definition of success and failure for those to define our children and or us. Oh my gosh. I so agree. I so agree. You know, um, I have a book, Empty Nest Full Life, and that's, and I have a Facebook group of Empty Nest Moms. And we talk about that all the time because Mm -hmm. this is a play, this becomes an idol for us as mothers um, because our, we will place our children's success or failure on the altar and worship it. And Mm. we'll either, and we'll either, uh, you know, oftentimes what we do is we take responsibility for bo- for both, and mm-hmm. certainly we have responsibility to lead our children well. But in general, they're going to make their own choices, and especially as they get older, they're going to oh. make even more of their choices. And if your how you feel about yourself is attached to that choice, man, you are going to be drug around mm. in all kinds of directions that is not healthy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good word. And and I think you're seeing it from the empty nester side side. I'm seeing it from a mom who has a college kid. It's never ending. Like, do they have the right college resume? Are they getting the right internships? Are they what are they gonna do next? MBAs. I'm seeing it in high school. Where's he gonna get in college? What are her grades? Has he made the varsity team? Yep. First grade. I mean, I still have a first grader that's not reading well at all. Um, and and we repeat in kindergarten. So like it's time. And I'm I'm feeling it on that end. Like, you know, what are reading levels? And is he gonna be able to do this? And did he get the gifted and talented? No, he didn't, everyone. Um, and he's not a candidate. So all that to say, it's just a never-ending spiral. And if we don't dig in to that lie and squelch it, then it's hard. It's hard work for us. It's really hard on our kids. So yeah, that yeah. was the first one. Yeah. yeah. All right. What was your second one? Second one is ordinary is not enough. Uh, and yes, I mean, seriously on that one. And and that's a lie I've fought for so long. And it's, it, it's another one of those things culturally we have to consider because ordinary, I mean, the definition of ordinary, like in the definite, in the dictionary is no special or distinctive features. Okay. Well, nobody wants to be called ordinary. If that's it, no special or distinctive features. Like by all means, I didn't wake up hoping someone thought of me that way. But the thing is, is what our culture thinks is ordinary is what most of our lives are comprised of. In order to be extraordinary, you have to have, in today's culture, a platform. You have to do these really remarkable things that everyone's going to talk about. And and so I, I kind of liken this to, um, we had foundation work in our house. I know you and I live on different parts of the country, but where I live, the earth can move and you have to have your foundation fixed. And so we paid like, you know, a couple Disney trips worth of money to have the foundation fixed in our house. And I was thinking, oh, they're just going to put in like two or three piers. No, they put 19 piers in our house. And so mm-hmm. after that, I mean, we kind of laughed, my husband and I, like this was a couple years ago. No one to this day has walked by and been like, oh, look at their fancy foundation or man, <laughs> the Ganoffs are really flexing with their money and their foundation. Like nobody cares. 
then here's the day. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, like you can have fancy hardwood floors and great furniture and go on exotic vacation to all things. If your foundation is cracked, yep. then what do you have? I mean, it's biblical, right? It talk, I mean, Jesus talks about these two houses. They're identical, basically. One's on rock, one's on sand, and the storms come. And the one on the yep. sand, it doesn't do well. And so we got to get back to the foundational things that matter. And ordinary is one of them. And those moments of nothingness is when God has shown up biblically and today. He shows up when, to the shepherds who are doing basically nothing. He calls kings out of that. Jesus' mom in a... In a ordinary mm -hmm. place geographically, occupationally, yep. in all senses. And so my hope is just for that in my own life for all of us so that we can just dig into this a little bit that in the ordinary is when we are putting these peers of faith in, just like we built up our house, we've got to do these ordinary things that build up our faith. And in that, that is the solid ground. Things, spiritual discipline, spending time in God's word, praying, doing those things that no one's going to give you an attaboy for, but they matter those are the things. Disciplining your kids when you don't want to, taking the harder road, not running to the school when everybody else is because it wasn't fair, right? Those are the ordinary moments and they matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's another aspect of this. I'm curious if you struggled with this, but it's, you know, you said you have a law degree, but you're not practicing law. So yeah. therefore, oftentimes uh, when uh, someone will not use their degree and they will do the ordinary, they decide to devote themselves to the ordinary stuff of life, like raising a family, then oftentimes that's where that lie can creep in as well. Mm, yeah, that that is a good one. It's interesting. One of my friends um, that practiced law for many years with me, she quit a couple of years ago to stay home with her kids. They were older, but um, she wanted to spend more time with them. And, and the partners at our old law firm, they were like, oh my gosh, you have such a promising future. You have such a promising future. Don't leave. Don't leave. Well, my friend, and by the way, I'm getting ready to take a quick downer, but stay with me. My friend okay. died suddenly. Uh, yeah, she died suddenly last year. Aneurysm just was there one day, gone the next. And her husband said, saying at her funeral that it will always stick with me. He was talking about how the partner said you have this promising future. And he said she gave up her promising future for her cherished present. And I think there's a real Whoa. gift in living in your cherished present. And whether that's walking away from law, I don't, I mean, I, I think it's great if you're a lawyer or any other profession and you're working, that's amazing. I'm glad my husband's a lawyer and, and does that. Um, I still work more hours probably than I did when I practiced law. But at the end of the day, like figure out how do you live in the cherished present mm. instead of chasing after that promising future? Yeah. Oh, that is a good word. So powerful. So powerful. Wow. Uh, this is a good conversation. Thank you. All right. I've got a couple Thank of you. other questions for you. Um, so one of the things that you talk about is living in survival mode to make it to the other side, but you have identified that there are creeks and caves and, and, and that that really helps us to, to find hope not on the other side, but to find hope in the midst of the middle of it. So talk about yeah. that. 
Yeah. Well, I just think that sometimes God can be quiet. I mean, I've seen it in my life, like, especially when I've been walking through some hard times, like I notice it even more. I don't know if it's more God's quiet or I'm louder. It's probably probably me. But there have been so <laughs> many times where I'm like, gosh, Lord, this is a really hard time. What's going on? Why are you ghosting me in the hardest times that I'm facing? And so uh, I really... Uh, I guess probably during foster care is one of those times where I um, was I went for a walk in my neighborhood. I live literally in the middle of Dallas, you guys. Freeways around us, like a country club a couple miles away, like crazy, you know, very middle of the city. And there is this little quiet part of our neighborhood that's like a prairie land, and it has this old church and a little creek with a bridge. And so I like to walk over there, and I was standing on that bridge, kind of looking over this little creek, and I just like started praying. I was like, Lord, where are you? Why are you so quiet? Like, what mm. What do we do in these points where like, I need to know you are present and with me? And I feel like the Lord was like, I need you to go down to that creek. And I was like, well, this is weird. I'm in the middle of my neighborhood. I'm already crying. And why am I going down to the creek? And so I walked down there and, and I instantly was remembering all the times. I was reminded of the times in the Bible when um, the Israelites would cross, like, you know, they'd cross over dry land and they would yeah. always stop and build a stones of remembrance, like a memorial, right? And in different times of Bible, you'll see they'll stop and build a memorial, so we'll never forget what God did. And as I was standing there looking at all these rocks on the creek bed, I felt like the Lord was like, "You need to, you need to stack some stones." And so I pulled a rock and put one down for when my husband nearly died of encephalitis, but he didn't. And I pulled another one um, for three very healthy kids. Another one for a job we had to have when we were young, married, and the Lord gave us income. And I just started stacking these stones, and I realized in the moment. The Lord is kind of saying like, listen, I'm not always a remove the hardship kind of God, but I am a remember who I am kind of God. Yeah. And I, in that moment, I realized like when God's quiet, when you're trying to get to the other side of something, the best thing you can do is have a long memory. Remember where God's been faithful in the past. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So where has he been faithful in the past? If you can't identify it in the moment, then start borrowing faith from someone else. Where have you seen him be faithful in someone else's life? Mm. Stack some stones. Remember that he's good. He doesn't change. You may not see it now. You probably don't see it now. He doesn't operate on our time frame. He doesn't give the full perspective. But that's kind of helped me walk through those places just to get quiet, have a long memory of where God's been faithful in the past, and really put some stones down in place to remind me that God is faithful. He'll do it again. Yeah. And you know, what struck me when you just said to have a long memory of where God's uh worked in the past, you know, when our emotions rise up in us, it almost causes us to have amnesia, mm, like yeah. faith amnesia. I've never thought about it that way until you just said it the way you said it. And I'm like, because then the, you know, when, when emotion and, and look, our emotions are God given, like the, we're designed to be emotional people, but our emotions are not designed to lead us. God's mm. truth is designed to lead us. And so, yeah, when you said that, I'm like, oh my goodness, what happens is when we get all tangled up in our emotions, we get this amnesia and we forget those things. And that's that, so that's why we have to ground ourselves in God's truth or we have to look to God's truth to steady ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good word. And I sometimes say I'm a financial atheist. Like if finances, one of my things is I like our finances to be in order. And when when I feel like there's anything out of order or what, you know, I'm like, oh, great. I've become a financial atheist all of a sudden. I've started doubting God. He doesn't exist. And, you know, I say that jokingly, but there are areas of our life. I mean, maybe with our kids or whatever it is, whatever our hot buttons are, when they get out of whack that sends us reeling, 
Uh, we need to take stock of that. But the other thing is the people around us are taking stock of that. They're ta- they're looking at the mm-hmm. things that cause us to freak out. They're caught co- the things that we're hoarding, the things that take our time, our finances, like God's watching, but, but really those around us are watching too. And we're telling them, we're telling a story yep. with how we deal with the hard. And so let's tell a story that we, that's worthy of being told. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so good. So good. Well, you and I could talk all afternoon, but um, (laughs) for sure, (laughs) this has been so good. Um, So, all right. So the book is uh, Life is Messy. God is Good. I will put uh, a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Where's the best place for people to find you, Cynthia? Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And uh, Cynthia Yanoff is my socials, CynthiaYanoff.com. So you can kind of find me in those places. Um, And then my podcast is called Mesmerized with two S's like mess. So yeah, after you finish listening to your podcast, if you get time, come over and listen to Mesmerized. I'd love to see you there. Lots of fun guests and talking honestly and hopefully in a funny manner about all the crazy stuff in life. And most likely wherever you are in life, especially in your parenting journey, I'm there too, since my kids are all ages. So uh, very relatable hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. We'll make sure and put a link uh, over to the podcast as well as to Cynthia's website in the show notes. So it's easy for you to get there. Well, Cynthia, would you be willing as we just bring things to a close, would you be willing to uh, pray for our listeners today? Absolutely. I'd love to. Lord, I just thank you for these few minutes. I thank you, Lord, for every person listening. It's not by coincidence, Lord, you've brought us here together and Lord, I just pray for the one who feels discouraged right now that they can see hope from you. I pray for those, Lord, that feel lonely that you provide community. I pray for those that are walking through hard places with their kids that you give them new understanding, Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, I just pray with those that are struggling with their marriage, she'll give new commitment. Mm -hmm. Lord, you're good, and you are for us, and you are with us. And so let us be able to laugh. Let us be honest and vulnerable. And um, and trust you, Lord, that you have a plan. We may not see it right now. It's probably not in our time frame, but you are good. And so I just pray that our words say, Lord, that they've encouraged people. And Lord, the words uh, both of us have written that we speak, Lord, that, that will point people back to you. And, and Lord, we're just grateful that you are in the details. You're in the mess. In your precious yeah. name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.